Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hi there, Steve. We're back over to the US for a rip-roaring conversation with the truly excellent Patrick Flegel. Pat's music is unique and heartfelt and made with a, a beautiful intent that the ideas behind which emerge from what was a lively conversation, Ben. Oh, the conversation ranged all over the place, didn't it, Steve? Much, much like Pat's music. Um, I mean, the you know Pat's first band, uh, Women, and then the music that he's making currently, Cindy Lee. Cindy Lee is really, really interesting music, and uh, and the the conversation kind of mirrored that. The kind of literary references and musical references, and the, all the the topics that came up through the conversation uh, was everything that I hoped for, and a whole lot more. Yeah, I didn't quite know what to expect, really, because um, I really like uh, women um, and I really like Cindy Lee. All of that stuff has a I don't I don't have any reference points for any. It, it sort of feels like it stands very uniquely kind of on its own. There's lots of influences that you can kind of pick out when you listen to it. But where it comes from, um, I don't fully understand. And I love music like that. When you listen to all the different references, I was reviewing the conversation that we had with Pat and, you know, he mentions the Delphonics or Little Eve or Orange Juice or Tina Turner or Dead Moon. It's just, it's, it's everything. It's sprawling. So no wonder you didn't expect um, how to kind of pin down where the music comes from. Cause it, I think it, there is something, there is something otherworldly about it. And even when Pat was kind of reviewing Cindy Lee and the, the kind of, I don't know, reflecting on some of the absurdity of it and uh, his description of it's a janitor's fantasy gone wild. I mean, there was there was so many, so many lovely comments and moments that we were all three of us were were laughing and enjoying the fun of the conversation. Hey, yeah, we were. Well, and similar to our episode with Will Carruthers, Carruthers we've left the intro in um, at the start because it does it does set the scene nicely, doesn't it? <laughs> It does. It does. It's kind of the, the relaxed nature of it. And I think, you know, it's a lovely kind of preamble to, to when the main conversation gets started and to ease much the same as, as we all did ease ourselves into the conversation. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It was, it wasn't a given that we'd leave it in and that we sort of wrestled with it a little bit, didn't we, as to whether or not it was the right thing to do. And it is actually, <laughs> believe it or not, when you come to listen to it, it is edited down just a little bit because, because we did, I mean, we find ourselves in this position, don't we, with people where we get to talk to these really, really interesting, creative, talented, diverse people and um, coming onto the call. And more often than not, we do have these, this this immediate kind of connection with people and 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 able to have a, a, a sometimes a, a just a really joyful kind of excited uh i don't know quite know how to describe it really but it's a really privileged position to be in isn't it and this was one of those times where we from from the get-go it was an instant connection and and having a really really enjoying each other's company Oh, like you say, mate, yeah, it's all it has been often been these conversations have been about making connections with people and and much the same as we often kind of touch on these references about the importance of music and how it is key to to making connections, whether that's you know with your your nearest and dearest mates or locally or with audiences across the across the world it's, it is about about connectivity, and we keep getting stark reminders of that. We do. And another theme that comes up in this episode that's come up 
a few times before is that spirit of independence and um pat moving through working with labels and doing through to find finding himself now at a point of you know kind of doing doing things for himself and and maintaining connections with the fans and people that love his music for, around the world and and kind of cutting out some of the bullshit and just um having that direct connection with people and 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 that's something that we've hit on a few times isn't it it is and i and i love i love how he he came back to it a few times where he says look i don't i don't take my situation for granted and he's really really thankful and grateful for people that um in a world where there is a million different things different pieces of music that you could listen to at any one time the fact that a group of dedicated people have come across his music and value it and and buy it and listen to it he's really super grateful for that and and happy to be playing to that to that audience and like you said the the kind of the diy spirit and just saying well i i know how to do these things i can do it i don't need i can cut out the middleman i don't you know I'm happy to take that on and run with it. I've done it before and I can do it again. Um, yeah. And then I think, I think another thing for me was this, the kind of um, the reflections on the kind of evolution as a musician and the, as a creative person and the kind of the, the sort of story about the bedrock about which that was kind of built on, built upon from Pat, you know, starting with his, with his dad and his uncle Irv and, and having music in the family home and then going on to play with his, with his two brothers. And then the kind of the breadth of listening so widely to music, there's a real, real clear line that you can draw from the part, from the point where he finds himself right back to those beginnings, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and he um, he articulates it really well. And actually, you, it, there are there are moments where um, that really lands for him in what in the way in, in what he's describing. You know, it kind of it's impacting on him as much as it is it was for us as as as, as listeners. And um, yeah, it's a good listen. So a, high, a highly recommended episode of Songs from a Padded Envelope, and we're super grateful to Pat for coming on and being. Uh, such brilliant company uh, and and very very giving of his time and ideas Um, so thank you to pat if you're enjoying listening to the show you know what to do send five stars over to apple hq and uh, leave us a nice review no one's done that for a while so come on people sort it out (laughs) come Um, on it's it's about time yes we want to chart in azerbaijan so come on (laughs) we only need (laughs) a few more listeners and we might break the top 200 in Peru. Well, let's go over to our conversation with Patrick Flegel on episode 43 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. How do I? Okay. How's it going? How, Good. How are you? I, yeah. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ, man. Uh, what did I? I. Uh, what, did, what did they say? Um, I feel like a pig shat in my head. i just for some reason i just got just i don't drink very often but i made this classic rock you know what nts is no nts is like a like a radio thing it's like a hip radio thing where all kinds of people do shows you know people you could stream it the point is i made this classic rock mix yesterday and um Oh, and I listened back to it after I sent it to them. 
and just got shit faced. I don't know. I was alone. Like I was completely alone on the porch and I drank like half a bottle of rum. I don't even like rum. It's like <laughs> in great. my skin. But anyways, yeah, it was just like fog hat and uh CCR and stuff and I I don't know what happened. But anyways, how are you guys doing? Where are you guys in London? Uh, I'm in London and Steve is in North Wales. Yes, I'm in sunny, well, not sunny, pitch black North Wales, but it has been sunny today for a change. Yeah. Okay, good. That's a good break there. It is, yeah. And whereabouts whereabouts are you, fella? I'm in uh um I'm in Durham, North Carolina. Is that are you in your studio? Is that realistic there where you are at the moment? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you can like I can't move my computer, but this that stack of shit is uh most <laughs> most of the studio. There's a drum kit over here. I guess I can unplug this hard drive. Anyways, that's there's a you know child's drum set there. Um, you got a PV, but yeah, that's this is where I record. And... <clears throat> well, that, that does that does kind of preempt one of the questions, but maybe we won't put it in the in the podcast. But you, Ben and I were talking before you came on about, um, well, Ben was saying that you you're, you're uh, a, a a guitar player with with like one amp and maybe two pedals, and I was saying no 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 no. Listen to those sounds on those records. There, there, there's a stack of there's an arsenal of guitars and pedals and kit. So I was, oh. I was, I was uh, advocating for that, and Ben was saying, "No, no, strip down, one guitar, oh. one amp, two pedals." <laughs> yeah, I well in the women band, the other guy, my friend Chris, he would have, I don't even know, and he'd be, there'd be like people talking to him after the concert you know what i mean yeah, like there'd yeah. be some guy at the front it was just like what is this? <laughs> and anyways uh, <laughs> you know it'd be, it'd be like a 45 minute conversation also but the uh yeah he had a ton of stuff but I, i'm really grumpy and i hate troubleshooting and i just yeah like i do use a wah-wah pedal a lot but it's seriously just to cock it all the way forward yeah. and it gives yeah. the guitar like this crazy uh bite sound it's pretty rough on the ears but it's yeah, I do use a wah-wah pedal sometimes, but yeah. I think you just got a PV. Well, you use a lot of pedals, man. But, uh, yeah, Ben's pedal setup is ridiculous. I mean, honestly, he's hours setting it up. Like a Mogwai. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, not quite, not quite Mogwai. Like a guitar store. <laughs> <laughs> pedal I, Expo I, every I, time I, we play a show. Right. But I'd like to have a band with just the one pedal, one amp scenario as well. Maybe we should start one, Steve. I was watching a clip of The Who playing. A, um, I'm not a big Who person, but I, this, I don't know, it came up on wherever. And it, uh, of them playing at Shepperton Studios, um, playing Won't Get Fooled Again. And Townsend, just all he does is just go over and, and messes with the head on his amp, and then he'll do the solo and he'll go back and just turn it down. He'll go back to the amp to. To toy with the sound, and it's right. but it looked cool as fuck as well because he's right, just going. He's do, he's Townsend, right? So what you're gonna do? But then, <laughs> but then he, he's doing yeah. it, and he's full tilt, and it's really loud, and Moon is going nuts next to him. Daltrey's yeah. swinging his mic, and there's people leaning <laughs> over the monitors. It's like, don't fucking do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're gonna lose teeth, and so everyone's looking super cool. Um, and whistle as well, and then just to just to t- tip it over the scales of coolness, Dolce's controlling his sound 
just by going over to his amp and not even really carefully doing it. It's just like, yeah, I'll just do that. Yeah. And here I go. <laughs> yeah. That's why, I mean, people are always, I actually tried to do that and it hurt everyone. I did. I got a hundred watt amp uh, head. It's actually a British amp called Carlsboro. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Ungodly, like, like the volume, like, horrible like even for me i'm deaf i've been playing music forever and uh the point is uh it's like basically equipped for a stadium and i played some small yeah. small <laughs> communist Sorry, stuff, right? uh yeah i love those old concert the footage is excellent yeah i love all that stuff man classic classic uh rock the other weird thing i was thinking about recently uh oh it's just funny how british or just how because since i moved down here it's the start of all this uh black church music and then i was just it just kind of struck me how insane it is to think of british teenagers in the 50s and 60s who are obsessed with like these artists from down here right i mean like full on like from uh what all every everybody i don't know like i guess uh they're all listening to like john lee hooker and like uh <laughs> like what <laughs> it's bizarre and then get spit back over here like I just listened to some, actually it was a John Lee Hooker record where he's playing with a British backing band. We're probably like just some teenagers. It's it's un it's unreal, man. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna take a deep breath here. I'm gonna I'm gonna light a cigarette. Excuse me. Oh my goodness, I had such a disgusting dinner. <laughs> dinner? Tonight. Dinner tonight. Yeah, I, I uh, it was t- Thursdays is my is I run a youth club on a Thursday, and it doesn't finish till late. So I've had a I've had a chip butty. Do you know what chip butty is? I do not. <laughs> it's, it's a thing of beauty. Yeah. It's a colloquial term. It's a, it's basically a big floury bap bread roll. Yeah. Stuffed of stuffed full of chips, French fries. Oh wow! Just, yeah. Oh yeah. Just, so I just grabbed it walking home, eat, eating that for my tea and a crunchy candy bar. Any <laughs> is good. there any sauce? It's good. Uh, brown sauce, which does, I do not. Oh, you mean gravy? brown sauce. <laughs> no, brown sauce is like it's like ketchup, but it's brown. Okay. okay. And, and like it's really, <laughs> it's a bit fruity. It's, it's bit fruity spicy, and spicy. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had put too much of it on. You don't. You don't want it in a chip. I had too much. I've kind of burnt my tongue on it. <laughs> it's not. Even... Do you get it from a stand? there's like, like a yeah the chippy the, the chip shop on the way home yeah okay okay <laughs> so i'm feeling really grumpy <laughs> okay yeah that's like, heavy man that's heavy. It was, yeah I, it needs must it was late i was hungry right because it's 10 there what what yeah i finished oh, at, the youth club finished at eight so it was yeah. like okay i need to just get something so i don't have to cook when i get home because i knew it'd be do- anyway what am i talking about I'm yeah fucking really well, rambling sorry yeah man do you realize like i'm not happy to like i actually don't like i'm happy to talk to you <laughs> that's good, that's good. <laughs> and i wish you couldn't see me right now because i realize the body language yeah i'm trying to uh i feel like i'm <clears throat> it's, everything's gonna be fine this is what i'm you need to you need to chip body and a candy bar you I'm a chip buddy short of a good time. I need <laughs> a second. Isn't it like steak sauce? Yeah, I guess a little bit, yeah. Okay. A little bit. 
but it's kind of yeah it's <laughs> it's really vinegary as well okay oh i'm it yeah that sounds good tang yeah yeah, yeah t- very tangy yeah it's got um, a little umami vibe to it as well wait yeah. wait i i just pretended i knew what that was and then it, I it fucking predates umami, umami. Oh, yeah <laughs> umami is the balance right it's like no. sweet salty yeah, savory, yeah, yeah, yeah. right all, right? all of those things okay. together okay. yeah yeah. yeah, I don't think anyone's ever described brand sources. <laughs> Not without being it's punched. Complex. <laughs> yeah, you pretentious bastard. It's Go away. Changes, uh, <laughs> sauce. So yeah, we are. We are now rolling. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, we've got more yeah. questions about condoms. Yeah. Hey, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Yeah, salad cream any minute now. Coming in hot. Um, gonna, the, the questions are going to be dull afterwards. I know. Aren't they? I know. Okay. Um, okay, we're rolling. So, um, Pat, if you dare, yeah. could you please introduce yourself and the demo that we're going to hear at the end of the show, please? Okay, yes. My name is Patrick Flegel. Uh, the song you're about to hear is a Realistic Studios uh, Cindy Lee track called 24 7. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and for sharing the demo um could you start by telling us about the origin of this song and where it fits in with your body of work uh i recorded this the track uh when i was in montreal which and i want to say it was around when i was working on cat and nine tales so that would be january or something of 2020 i think um yeah, so I had this great rehears- like uh, rehearsal space. It was a shed, basically. And I shared it with a bunch of other musicians. They had a drum kit there. And uh, that's it. Yeah, I just wanted... I was trying to write a, make a simple song, which is uh, harder than it seems, actually. Yeah, and definitely, uh, definitely inspired by little Ava, who I like a lot. That was a... Gosh, she's just a star from the 60s probably most famous for the locomotion but there's a lot of other tracks but their recordings are incredible really great recordings and amazing voice uh but yeah just bubblegum uh pop music you know and is that the is that the influence for cindy lee in general or for that song specifically uh oh just for that uh track you know what i mean but I don't, you know, it's fun. You like talk about this shit after and it's like, oh, I was doing this. Like you just make it up after. But I, I'm at the point now where it's pretty intuitive. Um, I'm trying to say, I just record shit, write shit. And um, it just happens. Like, for example, there's this weird thing that happened recently where I was working on a new track and The Idiot by Iggy Pop, that's one of my favorite records ever. Like I love that record. It's so melted and like deep and down and like, greasy as fuck you know and so i love that record but the weird thing that happened was i haven't listened to it in ages and then i'm tracking in here and i finish this song i'm going like an eight hour recording binge and then i pull it out and i'm just like, what the fuck because it's it's full-on like the hardcore phasing on uh stuff like mass production and uh just the whole all i'm saying is like i like pulled in these vibes from this record i haven't listened to in like in a very long time you know what i'm saying so I, I feel like things are getting to this weird point where stuff is just happening and then after you tell someone about it you're like oh it was inspired by uh you know like but it's just uh kind of it happens uh that sounds 
whatever. But <laughs> with the music you've made, you know, as as Cindy Lee and and with with women, you know, there seems to be very much the kind of an emphasis on recordings and sounds that are kind of evocative and emotive. Like it, it it's all about feel. So there's not not we're not talking about a straight recording. There's something that it captures that feels located to a time and place uh, i hear you i hear you that like uh hopefully like lightning in a bottle or whatever they say is that what you mean where it's just like something i think that yeah. might come from i mean cindy lee is fully that i don't know if it's called lightning in a bottle but, but uh <laughs> but uh that's fully the been the whole thing with cindy lee from the top where it's like basically demos or what people would call demos um and kind of what you're saying where there's i've had experiences in the past of going into a proper studio booking the studio time uh you're kind of losing your sense of humor a bit you're like on the clock it's kind of strain uh strained and kind of stilted and whatever and um yeah what you're saying I, you'd hope to get that you'd hope to get that and so even with those women records we threw away countless ideas had no fucking idea what we were doing the first record we weren't even really a band um, and I had like a lot of stuff that I had written, some stuff, you know, basically finished or pop song sketched out and then work it out with the other guys. But the, the point is, um, it was just messing around. So even if it was a pop song, it's experimental in my mind because you don't know what the fuck you're doing. So uh, whether it's uh, that kind of thing or... Um, but anyways, all I'm saying is that's what you hope for. So you record, you know, three hours of material and then hopefully you get... I think that's what you're saying is like something with like kind of a good feeling uh, around it or some kind of chance, nice things that happen that give it some kind of character, you know, is that what you mean? It's exactly what I mean yeah. for saying it comes, it comes across in all the music that you seem to have made, you know, though I can't, you, you get that sense of something that's, uh, I don't know. I mean, this is a compliment, but on the verge of falling apart at times. Oh I yeah. I love the feel of that. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, women stuff i was very much like corralled in that band by the other dudes uh and chad also because i would record something that would be sloppy as hell and pretty miserable uh like you said on the verge of falling apart and then kind of be fighting for that when we redo it or just yeah clinging to the kind of uh ideal you're talking about and uh hoping to get it you know you don't want I like some clinical records too, but that's not really what, um, like I like a, a lot of my favorite records are actually pristine, like multi-million dollar recording studio records. But, um, for my own stuff, um, might be due to like lack of resources and wanting to be resourceful and thrifty too. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just beating stuff into the ground. It can, it can suck, but I, I see, I admire people who will refine things too that's something i'm always looking to like i love the delphonics and the carpenters and these kinds of things there it's like labored over right and there's something to that as well and that might be, that might be that moment you're talking about or that space of like uh lightning in a bottle or whatever that might be more just in the vocal on a lot of those songs where that's what really um the, the, takes it takes you somewhere bring bringing up the carpenters is really it, it uh, i'm quite excited about that because i i really love the music. It's some of the first music I can ever remember hearing driving okay, in, yeah. in my um, parents' car and having a had an eight-track cartridge of Carpenter's songs and that was the one that I would always put in and I just adored it and even yeah. like now when I hear it 
uh, and th thinking about, and it's only recently that I've started thinking about how those songs might have been recorded because they have a, a total otherworldliness to them that um, is almost a I'm almost a little frightened by because I don't understand it. And that's my mm. favorite kind of music that sort of scares me a little bit when yeah. I first hear it because I don't understand it and it puts me on, it makes me feel a bit weird. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know where where the hell has this come from um, right all, all my favorite bands have done done that for me i think uh, over the years and and i definitely get a sense of that from from your music and one of the things that i wondered about is how does that and, and what you were just saying how does that attempt to uh uh get down uh onto tape the stuff that you're trying to get down in in, in that with that that feel you were talking about how does that marry up with some of the more laborious side of things like where to put a microphone on a guitar amp or you know the 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 actual setting up of the of the equipment and the instruments and where you're rooting things and that kind of stuff you're talking about things being labored <laughs> like this fucking question um you'll <laughs> 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 uh, get there in the end listener yeah, you, yeah. What, what do you think about that <laughs> well <laughs> That's a that's a thing is I just want yeah the least resistance. I mean, you think about what there's this James Baldwin thing he's talking about like being a writer. I like listening to writers talk about writing cuz it's a solitary act and so it's kind of more relatable than a band almost. And it's it's just removed enough where it, it it seems to give me more perspective or something. But he's talking about I forget what he's saying, but he's like if I'm a writer and I call myself a writer and I'm dawdling and going out and sharpening my pencils and I'm avoiding like what I know I need to do and what I have to do. If I can't do that and I'm a writer, it's a miracle that anybody does it at all. You know what I'm saying? So like talking about an amateur, someone who loves music or recording or uh, whatever, um, the fact or even just justifying playing guitar for an hour. Right. Especially if you're working full time, you're grinding it out and you got all this shit going on. You got to toe the line with all this other stuff. So my point is, there's just so much resistance in the first place, even justifying doing it, especially the older you get, I think, um, when you, you start giving a fuck about anything at all. And so, um, yeah, my the way things are arranged is to, yeah, as little resistance as possible. The, the studio is in the basement of our house. Uh, I have a few pieces of gear that are reliable and simple. And that's about it. And as far as like, I take a lot of inspiration from uh, Dead Moon, that band. Uh, and I once saw someone ask Fred Cole a question about like what microphone he used to get that guitar sound or something. And Fred Cole, like, he's like, I put the the microphone in front of the guitar amp. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? And for sure, there's artistry, like there's studio artistry and like techniques, and I'm not like against that or something. But it's just a matter of fact. I'm not gonna figure out a fucking phase, do phase or whatever on like two mics on the drums. Like, I just can't be bothered. I'm doing everything else. I'm already trying to learn, like you know, stack. I don't know how to play fucking violin. I'm trying to play you know, 16 tracks of violin that's maybe in tune. Uh, that's going to last like 60 seconds in a song and I'm going to end up throwing it away. I, I don't even, uh, I can't be bothered with that stuff. So I just got some simple, reliable stuff. I did talk to Chad Van Galen, who's a dear friend of mine and one of my heroes from when I was a kid, just awesome, whatever, a true artist and very, uh, just doesn't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like he's super, uh, honest in what he does. 
whether he's making some heartbreaking track or like a children's song it's just like fuck you you know what i mean so i i love him and he told me he knows gear but he also has debunked like it's a myth it's kind of turned into like a sport and kind of like a pissing contest and you know what i mean it's all it, it's um it's like a hobby almost it's just like oh i'm talking about my gear and trading and wheeling and dealing and going on kijiji and whatever or out of craigslist but uh he told me about to get this compressor for the drums and uh i kind of understand it just by listening to it but i that's something i got where it's actually got that snap and it actually like does something i can tell it's doing something and i got a spring reverb and uh that's an analog one so that's like my one like cool thing you know and then i got a digital multi-effects thing like a lexicon thing that's it and then i got a uh, three microphones you got a condenser mic you got a sm57 and then i got this electro voice 667 or something i forget what the fuck it's called but a musician friend told me to get it but it's one of these old school uh I don't know if you can see this <clears throat> cocksucker the fucking telecaster just took a serious spill this thing um they call this they made these in buchanan michigan i i think this is from the 50s and they called it the buchanan hammer because uh it's so sturdy and resistant to humidity and just like they don't build them like they used to kind of thing but the, they called it the buchanan hammer because apparently at any hall or any kind of speaking event or whatever this would be a standard mic i even watched a tina turner movie the other day and she was singing into one of these uh i was that that uh humbled me watching that but anyways that's a whole other thing but um the point is i guess to nail a they would use the microphone and hammer a nail in front of the kick drum with this fucking thing yeah it's a very uh, that, uh, that was, that was long, long-winded, but it sounds cool. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, it's a fucking Buchanan hammer from Buchanan, Michigan, or whatever. So I got that microphone, and uh, I think it's a bit of a Coca-Cola effect where it looks cool, so you think it sounds good or whatever. But um, uh, that's a new term I just learned. Just wanted to. I like it. Yeah, that. I heard that. Before. Oh, yeah, it's a bit of a Coca-Cola effect, you guys. You I know. was just nodding. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apparently because the package is uh attractive people think it tastes better than pepsi or something but um yeah i just have those three microphones i got a fucking pv backstage plus here piece of shit amp but kind of like a sleeper like actually a great amp it's old solid state amp and then a little vox one where you could change the voltage but there's it's, there's not much going on here and how did how did like guitar sound come together pat um well i always played a telecaster that's it's just an easy guitar to play super simple not very good looking but who gives a shit but there's only three knobs and basically you could get any sound you want like really hot trebly sound or you could get a, a nice smooth sound and put it on the neck pickup turn the tone knob all the way down and then get that real smooth like a, a vu self-titled kind of vibe where it's just like a bassy guitar no no high end so that's that's kind of uh what i've been doing there yeah have you still got the first guitar you ever owned? Actually, this is, it's kind of a thing, but basically what happened was my, my dad was a musician. He played in Lethbridge, Alberta. He played in a, actually a Hungarian polka band playing bass. <laughs> and apparently he cleaned up and um, he was a flooring guy. So then he was installing floors. And then uh, we moved to Calgary when I was two. And then he continued to play music and uh, he would play with my uncle Irv. And they, those guys would play, I think they play, I'm, I don't even think of, I think it's 40 years, maybe 50 years every 
every pretty much every Sunday they'd play guitar together and just an excuse to get drunk really and hang out. But they would play music. My uncle Herb would play mandolin. My dad would play guitar and they'd play old uh, standards and just kind of pissing around, just like messing around, but super fun. So I'd play with them. And uh, the point is, um, oh, my dad played in a cover band in Calgary and he they'd play like country covers like Shania Twain and whatever. And it was like, I think he played with those guys for 30 years. But the point is, uh, he loved music and was really supportive of me and my brothers. Uh, my little brother's an amazing musician as well. Andy, he's a great drummer, amazing guitar player too. But uh, what the hell am I talking about? Oh, uh, when I was 10, no, nine, I, Matt was already playing guitar and my dad made a deal. He cut the cable and then he's, uh, He's like it's distracting or something he was had some like principle behind it but the point is uh he said if we took lessons for a year and we really enjoyed it he'd get us a nice guitar and so uh um he got me that telecaster that telecaster i used with the women band that's a telecaster my dad gave me when i was 10 years old i love it because i played for a year well when i was nine i played bass and i remember trying to figure out when i come around by green day and i remember crying and throwing the bass <laughs> <laughs> like in tears just like <laughs> because <laughs> i couldn't do it and uh we loved you know we loved that stuff and so uh anyways he got me that guitar and i played that fucking guitar it's funny because in your in your head you're just like oh that's a big thing but really uh it was american guitar so it was a fucking nice guitar uh but i played that thing for oh god 2010 i got it in 1996 so 14 years but then i got kind of off the hook and then we played this bad show and i actually smashed the shit out of the guitar and then uh and then i held on to it though i still had it it was in pieces and then i gave it to my buddy steve uh steve lind from freak heat waves i gave it to him in questionable uh health uh yeah i gave it to him like hey man here's my old uh, broken guitar then he took it to some guy and the guy rebuilt it and steve still has that telecaster and in my mind i i heard about um uh country guys like giving each other a guitar like as some like old school cool like uh you know uh you know what i'm saying like yeah, yeah, here you great. here you go kid or whatever but it was it was my ridiculous version of that because it was completely destroyed and probably cost him a lot of money to put it together but uh yeah i got a I, I, my dad knows about all this stuff too. He's like, oh yeah, we have our bad nights. Don't worry about it. But anyways, <laughs> Steve, Steve still got that guitar, man. And, uh, and then I just got another, uh, yeah, I got another black Telecaster. So. Were you, were you going out and seeing your dad play when he was going out with the, with the band? Yes. And they would play like uh stampede breakfast in Calgary and stuff. And they'd play like, uh, you know, weddings and shit like that. And it was a good, they cleaned up, like they brought their own, uh, like one guy in the band had sound stuff and then my dad would, and like, he would be, he'd be like, yeah, we suck. But he was like, he was always laughing about it, but it was just uh, fun. And actually they made decent money. Like I remember the first time I played uh, one of the first times I got paid for a concert. Cause I, before that I played with older guys and I didn't even know there was money. But the point is uh, I, I was like, dad, we, we made 200 bucks. I'm like, Holy shit. Dad, we played the other day. We made 200 bucks. He's like each. I was like, no, well, no. And he's like, oh, what the fuck? What the fuck, an idiot? <laughs> yeah. But, um, I would yeah, imagine I, that your dad was probably a really good bass player because that, that polka, it, it, it kind of makes me feel a little bit anxious because you have to play so fast. You got to be, you got to be on it. And to do those sorts of 
gigs where you're playing weddings and functions and things, you got you've got to be good. So I imagine he's a pretty good bass player, your dad. He is, and he's a good uh, rhythm guitar player as well. Like really strong. It's funny because I actually have, and everyone says this, but I really don't have uh, rhythm. I'm learning with the drums, but goddamn, it's not easy. But yeah, he's a he's a really good player, and he'll play still with his brother. And uh, unfortunately, my uncle Irv passed away last year. God bless him. But um, uh, yeah, he still uh, will play with his brother uh, when. Uh, sorry, I just got kind of the. Um, just thinking about Irv, man. Yeah, Irv was just yeah. a cool yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyways, um, he loves music. And I have memories of him playing Heart of Gold on an acoustic guitar and like cool memories like that. So uh, yeah, he loves music and he still plays all the time, man. Yeah. So it was very much a given that you and your brothers were going to naturally become musicians at some point. Yeah, I think he because he's he's just like old school like he's a farm guy he grew up in rural saskatchewan and then went to lethbridge which is like whatever and him and all of his brothers they're all just did trade like one guy's a concrete guy one guy's a uh, my dad's a flooring guy etc and so uh he's always he's just like a workhorse my mom too and that's that's a, just full alberta like workhorse mentality and all i'm getting at is i think he kind of lives vicariously through me and my brother uh, and he still plays and loves music, but I think he's, uh, especially now that uh, things are going all right. Uh, but, um, oh yeah, I think he's just, he's into it. You know what I mean? Especially when we're touring around and stuff, he was pretty like blown away by that, where he's like, what the fuck? Like you guys are playing in Spain. And we were like, yeah, I don't know. Like we felt like con artists. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Especially even Calgary in the first place, you're just like, it, it doesn't strike you as something that would actually happen. That kind of um, imposter syndrome feeling of, uh, you know, just feeling like a bit of a fraud. How the hell are we in the position that we're in? And I totally know what you mean. You can't, you can't like you're going to get found out any moment of um, when you find yourself in these positions that like you want us to play where or you want us to do. Uh, and I, I think that's actually a quite a common experience for creative people, that imposter syndrome thing. Do you feel like you've shaken that now? Uh, yeah, in general, actually. Or I'm, like, working on it. Like, I think everybody's got that. But, yeah, there's a – yeah, so, for sure, for sure. I feel like uh, at this point things are more clear and more – or just, and just that it's a joke or, like, it's a crapshoot in terms of, like, who ends up where uh <laughs> doing what and you realize that you know there's no standards anymore um, either so is it easier to have more self-belief because when you're the person that's solely in control of everything that, that's happened being you know in control of your destiny musically oh yeah um yeah it's uh yeah i i just take it more lightly now when we were making those women records, I was intense about it, like intense and really obsessed with what was going on and taking it. Like I just would put a lot of pressure on myself to make something that I liked, but I, uh, yeah, now, now I take, I, I like, I, I take the work seriously and the discipline of it seriously and stuff, but I, it's, it's, uh, I could see it as a joke or not important, like at the flick of a switch too. You know what I mean? Or I, I, I don't, yeah, I just don't take it so seriously. So then a lot of stuff just gets eliminated, a lot of stress and a lot of just negativity gets eliminated when you kind of 
don't care. And I've also realized when you stop caring is where it gets really good. Or like when it gets interesting. I think there's something about like resigning uh, that just helps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. I definitely recognize that letting go of some some of that stuff. But how how does that marry up with your experience of uh, in, in quotes, the the industry. I suppose specifically think about working with labels and you know promoting yourself and that kind of thing. You know, because at some point you you still have to hold on to that giving a shit about what happens, uh, or do you? You know, how does that affect your relationship with labels and things? I've been lucky. I mean, um, where I just kind of did my own thing, and then uh, partially because we had some success with the women band. Uh, not a lot, but some some measure of success. Um, they, there's something like industry people, that's like the whole thing. It's like, what did you do before? Or if you put out a record, they want the record to get mastered by a guy who did other stuff before so they can put it in the brackets and produced by this guy who did this other stuff before. So it's all that shit. And everybody started somewhere with something that was like a break or whatever, you know? But like... <clears throat> I don't know. I'm really like disillusioned with uh, that stuff at this point. But I think if I was going to go all in, like all out, I would sell out in a heartbeat. Um, I would like to make money, but I, I'm also, I, I have weird principles. Like I can't totally do the math on, on how that works, but I'm pretty uh, at this point feel I'm just very controlling and I'm finding that basically a booking agent is a guy with an iPhone. A manager is a guy with an iPhone. Record label guy is a guy with a computer. You know how to use a fucking computer and an iPhone? Uh, you could probably do it yourself if you want. Because uh, it is a pain in the ass and that's, you know. But like, yeah, I just wanted to do everything myself, which is kind of crazy too. Like my brother, the way he operates, he those guys are like on the road all the time. And so for them, the way they work it, they do all that stuff, you know, where they got the machinery going, you know what I mean? And that, and then their whole thing is touring. And my whole thing is more, it's just a different uh, approach. I don't know that either one is better. They should even be compared, but uh, yeah, I'm just like, get the fuck out of the way. Like I'm just losing patience. Like just like this middleman stuff. Sometimes I'm just like, wait, what? Like, why don't I just like, because the funniest thing is a manager, right? that a manager just sends you questions to say yes or no to, and you end up, the amount of time you spend approving or dismissing something is the same amount of time you're doing the man, like, you know what I'm saying? You might as well just do the fucking thing. (laughs) Well, just, there's no camaraderie. There's no, like, uh, there's a lot of nights we would have with the women band where we just, it's just so much fun. Like most, most, the thing I think about when I think about that band is us making fun of each other and throwing shit at each other and laughing and acting like idiots. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I remember. So that's, that's a different thing, you know? Um, but there are benefits too, where it's, you could just get super lost in your own shit and then listen back to what you did the next day. And there was no one there for better, for worse to be like, Hey, don't do that. Or you should stop. Or, uh, so there's some benefits to just being like in your own world. And that's why I always think of Chad Van Galen, because he actually is just in this freaky deaky studio just like getting hot like smoking hash and like fucking hitting like hitting things with rocks you know hitting 
you talked about Chad and he he was involved in the the making of the first two of the first two records with women but how did that relationship come about that came about because um Matt for a stretch was playing with this group called the Cape May he was playing bass and it was uh, the Cape May was a uh, good friends of ours Clinton St John and Jeff McLeod and this dude Landon he left Matt was playing bass with them and the Cape May were on Flemish Eye and they were kind of a bit older than us and uh, Matt toured with the Cape May and they went all over the place and uh, Cape May was kind of like a I don't know kind of like a Jason Molina vibe like really heavy nice like kind of poetic lyrics and super depressing and they were, I really enjoyed them we liked them a lot but anyways they were on Flemish Eye and then Chad was on Flemish Eye uh, and so the Cape May would be playing shows and Chad and Matt became really good friends and then Matt eventually started playing with Chad playing bass and I think accordion at one point and so um, he became friends with Chad and then when we got the band rolling that it just kind of happened he had a studio and he's super friendly so when you were talking about uh, just before about um, thinking back and uh, thinking back to playing um, with women in your, and, and the, the, the memories of that band, uh, of, of the fun that you had, do you have any um, performance memories about, you know, p- particular shows or tours that kind of stand out to you as being, you know, what you'd hoped it might be or favorite memories from touring? Oh, yeah. We play this place called the Chrome Horse in Nanaimo, B.C., Actually, the song China Steps is named after this staircase that's behind that venue or where that where that concert was. But it was the last show of this venue and something about Nanaimo. But it was just so debaucherous. I think I think it was like 50 bands played or something like the sun was up and people were sleeping and there was like five people in there and people were still playing. It was but it was so debaucherous because people were crowd surfing um, and. I got cobained and it was not glamorous at all, but like people picked me up and then basically dropped me on my head. And uh, it was really manic energy in the place and people were really partying. And at one point someone was crowd surfing. They actually ripped a live wire out of the ceiling. So sparks were flying and we had to stop playing and then they had to go flip a breaker on the thing. And like, it was just wild and uh, it was really fun. And I actually right before that, our friend had given us this Rallye Denude uh, album, Heavier Than a Death in a Family. And is a, our buddy Danny, who worked at Melodia Records in Calgary, he gave us the CD. And it just, it's, it's a very, I don't know if you've heard that band, but it's just, it's, it's a lot. It's a really um, loud band. And the point is, that concert after we played, we all just passed out in the van. And I, I, I stayed up and came back to the van, I think it's 7.30 in the morning. And that album had been playing the whole time those guys were sleeping <laughs> and it's like it was ridiculous so i remember that and i just love the people in Nanaimo, like super fun and uh, that was really fun and the, the other first thing that came to mind was primavera sound when we played there because there were just so many fucking people there it was like really teenage fantasy kind of thing where you're just like what the hell and it was kind of our set whatever but it was surrounded by seeing really good bands like i saw the jesus lizard the vaselines neil young uh too many to even remember but it was just an like it was wild how many like legendary bands i saw it was so cool so i definitely remember that and we got to stay in like a hotel it was pretty glamorous actually it was cool yeah fantastic 
Um, going going back to the sort of beginnings of music for you, what did how did uh, what's your first experience of playing music with people and in a band? That would be uh, me, Mike Wallace from Women and Preoccupations, Chris Reimer, and uh, our buddy Matt Uswa. But we would all play together. I mean, Matt, Matt, my brother would play with us too. But uh, that's the oldest memory I have is us, the four of us playing. I want to say that would be in early middle school, but where we had, we actually like had a drum kit and shit and um, playing surf songs. Mission Impossible had just come out. So we were playing the Mission Impossible theme song for some reason. <laughs> but uh, I think that was our first band i believe it was called sunny hides in town and it spelled out shit we had a friend named sunny uh but there were there were several names for that but yeah we were super young yeah and I, I, yeah another one i'm thinking of is that in grade five for extra credit i, I played uh, heaven beside you by allison chains with my friend kevin mcmahon on a, on a couple of, <laughs> on a couple of uh, acoustic guitars and neither of us could sing you're too shy to sing so we just played an instrumental Allison Chains and poor Kevin. I remember this girl was like, uh, she was like, Pat, that was awesome. She was like, Kevin, you suck. <laughs> but I thought Kevin was good. I thought Kevin was good. Oh, yeah. Kevin. Just in case you're listening, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin, if you're out there. Was there a particular moment where uh, you kind of locked in with playing with other musicians and, and you kind of got that feeling of, oh, wait a second, this is, this, I can see possibilities. Oh, man. I mean, that just starts so young because me and Matt would just play guitar all the yeah. fucking time, all the time. Like as soon as um, we had guitars, we borrowed a guitar and then we, yeah, like I was saying, I made that deal with my dad and Matt made the same deal and got it and we didn't take it for granted man like we played all the fucking time like I still it's still my favorite thing to do and sometimes I'll even feel kind of blue and realize that I haven't been playing guitar but yeah we would shred all the time and just figuring stuff out and because there's the two of us and it was kind of brilliant on my dad's part because uh yeah we just completely uh occupied each other and would just disappear from my parents view for hours at a time so but yeah, we would play all that shit. We, Matt was obsessed with music, uh, especially uh, Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. And so we would just be playing the two different guitar parts. And um, yeah, it actually, I guess, yeah, I've just been doing it for so long. I, I, we, just, we just always did it. We always played together. And then we would play at our house um jam and do like you know just like jam on some fucking santana soul sacrifice man just like just like terrible shredding a lot of deep purple for a while see that, that that's was the like... apprenticeship isn't it did you, did you go down the full rock apprenticeship that well you did the deep purple <laughs> did, did, you know what about, yeah, what about kind of yeah. maiden or did you go down the metallica and megadeth route pretty superficial we liked all kinds of music but it would be like i I picture the cd book but we're just kind of be like three things by in a style of music that you were obsessed with and it didn't really go any further than that so like rain and blood or like ride the lightning that was one of the first cds i ever got actually sound super unknown sound garden and then ride the lightning was the second one but they like uh what the the fuck am i talking about i was just asking about metal apprenticeships (laughs) oh thank you yeah, thank you. Yeah, we had already gone through so many phases, man. And Kurt Cobain in interviews would always 
mentioned, he was constantly referencing these kind of uh, lesser known bands and kind of trying to put the attention on these other people. So that was cool. But Matt found out about all kinds of stuff, but uh, like that. And uh, but yeah, we, we we did the full classic rock thing. And Days to Confuse was also like in the picture. And then shortly after Detroit Rock City came out, I think that was when I was in middle school. But we kind of like lived that for a while in this weird suburban way. <laughs> like, yeah, full classic rock, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know a little more like Trooper Rush. You know, uh, who's, the, who's the other guys? Uh, oh, for fuck's sake. They're, they're, they're all right. Lover Boy. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Pat, Pat, how do you how do you get from the, the metal influences to the influences that um sort of underscored women, the sound that women brought together? Um I think just finding different kind of guitar music. Like we like I said, we like I mean um we'd already gone through like full on phases of interest and playing and different styles and stuff. So like when I first started playing, it's all that radio uh, stuff like Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, etc. The Offspring, all that shit. And then go through the classic rock thing, get in the metal thing. There's some crazy, uh, there's some pop punk in there. There's this band in Belvedere, from Calgary called Belvedere when we were teenagers. We loved Belvedere, like crazy uh, shredders. And it's full on like wacky kind of skateboard punk. Uh, pretty fun. I actually listened to it recently. I was like, this is actually like pretty fucking good. But uh, that stuff and like hardcore crazy like kink metal, which is like, <laughs> like a, it's all uh, complicated. But the point is, it got into that zone. Yeah, like a lot of prog rock, like Yes and King Crimson, Mahavishnu Orchestra. This is before we're even fucking 18. So uh, a lot of stuff coming and going. And then by the time I was, I want to say 20 or 21, I, I be, this guy recruited me to play in his band. It was like a pop band called Pressure Kill Common Style. The guy was actually a really good writer, but he knew all of this uh, music like television and Brian Eno and that whole thing. And so and there's also an 80s revivalist thing happening. This is like the tail end of uh, the 2000s. Or sorry, mid early mid two thousands, but whatever. Like everyone's got a hard on for fucking Joy Division and all this stuff, and I was no exception. Like I was all obsessed with them and all that shit, and then finding that stuff like Orange Juice and uh, Joseph K and Fire Engines and even weirder stuff. A Metro Pack or this strange Scottish band we listened to a lot. Um, and anyways, just finding like where there was style, like because what I was getting at was a lot of that music is so complex and fast that it's just kind of like sports and that's something you crave when maybe you're younger and you just want like something so maximal but then i would get into this other stuff that was more stylized and like cool like it was just more stylized and kind of dialed back and there's just uh, i liked those styles a lot more related to, to it more um so it was really just uh uh yeah just discovering new things you know the idiot was like such a big deal for me when i found it and i actually found it because of joy division because he killed himself with the record on the turntable or whatever um but just the vibe of that record yeah it's not some talent show shit it's just like good mm. god like is everybody okay you know yeah. <laughs> like 
<laughs> what happened? What's happening? Like, Jesus. But that song, Mass Production, man, is just like, wow. But anyways, uh, yeah, just discovering new stuff and uh, kind of railing against that complicated stuff, I guess. Like, naturally, you know, I'm realizing life is just a long series of, like, horrible overcorrections. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just, like, compensating, you know, Cindy Lee is no exception, you know. But, yeah. Uh, that's that's how it happened, and it's funny too because it seems actually like the the changes we went through happened quickly. But I feel like when you're younger, uh, maybe you can relate to this that like three years, four years seems like I mean it's like a quarter of your fucking life. So it actually seems more uh, significant or something. But yeah, just new rock. I found new rock. But that like the fire engines was the crazy one because I was like, what the fuck? Because like you're talking about falling apart. Like that was some really vital music, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I was listening to somebody talking about that uh, on a podcast recently as well, talking about how exploring that more and more complex and angular and shifting around um, metal and psychedelia, and then they saw the Mary Chain, you know, and just right. and just heard that guitar sound and those one or two notes in those those melodies and just oh fuck okay <laughs> reset that was a huge one for me mm. yeah and one a uh, few moments a handful of moments where i heard it the first time and you're just like don't even fucking care about what anybody's saying you're just like what the fuck is this man this sounds really good i just did actually for nts i did a whole comp uh i think it's 50 it's basically an hour just of jesus mary chain interviews <laughs> 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 Um, I kind of rock in there do actually a bit. You could do it. A bit yeah. of a fucking, <laughs> a bit of a read thing going yeah. on here. But uh, I know, and they just kind of like leveled it right where you're like, okay, like that'll do. Pure style, like all style. No, like anybody can play those. Yeah, but 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 not inject that uh, the the emotion that's in that music and the the vibe that's in that music and the blood. Some of it is utterly heartbreaking when you listen to it. I find it. It just yeah. really pushes a particular button for me, the Mary Chain stuff when I first heard it. The Darkland Dark yeah. record and, and Psycho Candy as well, just like nothing else. Put me somewhere completely. Well, the f- the first singles with that scree of feedback yeah. all all over them was just phenomenal. I I, I love playing that to people to see it, see what their reaction yeah. was. Well, it's, the thing I love about them, especially that early stuff, is... Um, because uh, I've gone straight or sober for periods of my life for at points years at a time, but there's something really spectacular about that, especially uh, Psycho Candy and Twin Infinitives by Royal Trucks come to mind. But where that's a record you can listen to in a sober state, and if you're actually like you could use it if you know what I'm saying, like Psycho Candy, you can like use that to uh, like attack your brain and like cause a shift in your you know what I mean? Like it's powerful. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty pretty amazing yeah respect to the berry chain absolutely absolutely and like those guys are so cool man like they don't they're just like uh those interviews are fantastic man like they're so arrogant uh and clearly just making fun of the whole thing you know like it's just like yeah with i I don't know that strikes me do you think that's a a tendency in british uh music and the press for people to like talk the big game like i feel like that's the kind of a thing like yeah, we're the best. I mean, it can be, can't it? But I, I, yeah. it, it can yeah. be. I really wish that I'd done that. 
you know, when I was in a position <laughs> at that age. But you've been that arrogant. To, I, yeah, because yeah, it's tough to pull off when you get older, but I would I would have loved to have had a really, like, like uh, arrogant yeah. face. <laughs> yeah. <not> doing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I know. I'm going to do it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Too, it's too late, mate. Don't try I'm gonna it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a full-on David Dillon cravat look, but, like, arrogant, like, proper cut. Yeah, that's all right. You, yeah, can, yeah. you, could, you could rock that, mate. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm warming up to being that at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it takes nerve, yeah. you know. It's uh, but I guess you know what you know. What I'm thinking of is basically just Marky e. Smith and the Mary Chain, and then I guess Oasis were kind of like that, kind of uh, arrogant. Uh, yeah, they weren't quite as erudite yeah. as Marky e. Smith, I and mean, he just had much more going on. But I know what you mean. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, he's he was actually like sneaky, you know what I'm saying? Like the way he carries himself, the way he talks, he doesn't fucking. Uh, what am I trying to say? He's not a chin stroking fucking school guy, but actually the depths the depths of what he's doing, like even in the sleeves, it there's some like wild. Um, it makes me think of this artist like Ray Johnson, but it's just collaging like bizarre, like from crazy sources. Like those lyrics are, whatever you know, Mark. You guys are British for Christ's sake. I'm telling you about Marky Just, Smith. I'm hold it up. <laughs> Just like, and you know why? It's right Mark... here on my desk. So that is my current reading. For... Okay. Oh wow! It's, wow. Uh, yeah. It was. In fact, it was my 50th birthday present from Ben. But it's a. Uh, it's Amazing. kind of like a, um, an encyclopedia of the fall, but written from like a kind of social commentary perspective. It's beautiful. Okay. Yeah, you could dig into that though, right? I mean, like even one of the one of those songs. Um, what am I trying to say? Oh, whatever. Like I've read, uh, uh, what, what the fuck's that called? Nova Express or Atrocity Exhibition or these kind of styles. But uh, Marky Smith is like up there as far as that kind of writing goes. It's like makes you feel like a punk, man. <laughs> we, we we played on a festival bill with him once and I, I met him and he scared the shit out of me completely. quite right yeah yeah he's yeah pretty intimidating uh, guy yeah yeah and then you got mark <laughs> riley how did, how did that work <laughs> did you play on his show did yeah super sweet guy yeah yeah that that was big yeah, because at that point, yeah, when we were recording our second record, I was digging deep into Dragnet, especially, but like because I had the actual record, but like hitting it pretty hard. Yeah, so, yeah. So I was. It must have been a really nice experience to go in this, to go and play on his show and do that session. That was a big deal for us, man, for sure. Like it's legendary, and even like as an outsider, the BBC or that kind of John Peel history is really seen as like a institution or like kind of like holy ground or whatever and uh yeah being anywhere near it we were pretty blown away for sure did how did how did john peel feature for you did you know about him already then uh yes because everybody did those sessions so i even remember being very young seeing a smashing pumpkins peel session like uh do you remember the thin case like that cd case that was like extra thin uh yeah my uh so it just started there and then once i started digging up more stuff uh especially from the 70s and 80s you would just see how he was touched everything and then of course a huge uh advocate for the fall yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well what, what was the first fall track you had can you remember 
No, but I hated them. I remember, and it's right in that period I'm talking about where I was finding all this stuff. And it was a record I got from the music store in the mall called 50,000 Fall Fans Can't Be Wrong or something like that. And I hated it. And I I was just like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. And then uh, it just grew on me, like over the years. Like, I think I just heard a different record. Like, I might have heard something like... um, like parole art threat or some like menacing fucking badass track like that. That was, or like Spectre versus Rector, like some kind of, and I was like, Oh, like I can get to this. I think the other stuff I had heard maybe been from the eighties and it was uh, more slick. And I eventually got into that stuff uh, too, but yeah, I don't know. I want to, I don't know what the first uh, track was on that album, but I was bummed out. And And that was, you can remember this where you actually bought the thing. So you were stuck with this thing yeah. you didn't like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the funny the, thing. The full kind of, they, they go into that camp of music that terrified me when it first time. I heard Spoilt Victorian Child at a okay. friend's house at like top volume. And it was on a, it was on like a Beggar's Banquet compilation, which is, yeah. it had some just brilliant stuff on there, Bauhaus and um, uh, The Cult. And a whole, whole bunch of stuff, but it had Sport Victorian Child on there. And it just scared the shit out of me. I didn't understand it. I, I can't listen to it. Don't, don't put that song on because I can't listen to it. And that right. was kind of telling that it was actually going to be the one that meant the most on the album eventually once I'd, you know, kind right. of absorbed it properly or, or, or uh, uh, that little bit of my brain had matured enough to, to be able to listen to it properly. And then it was, oh my God, that song just drives me crazy. It's amazing. Uh, do you remember when we were talking to Joe Thompson, he was saying you should never, never give a record away, didn't he? He was sort of, you know, even if you hate the record, yeah. you should always stick with it and come back to it. I don't, I don't know if I hold with that, but I liked what he was saying about it. Um, it, feels, it feels like you're very much in a very sort of prolific phase of your life musically, Pat. Yeah. It must be a great place to be. I mean you know you you're making record after record very seemingly very easily and yet there's a there was a a lovely quote in the interview an interview saying you said I just I just make time to do it. it takes a lot of time to do it it sounds haphazard to a lot of people i think but it actually takes hundreds sometimes thousands of hours to make a record from the conception to the to the actual finished product yeah can you speak to that a little bit yeah um I just don't know what else I'm going to do. You know what I mean? So I'm just kind of all in at this point. (laughs) So that's part of it. But I also, I don't really take it for granted. There's um, actually, and this is cool because it's like the radio, right? But I can say, I take this chance to say thank you to all the people who buy my records and listen to me. And I, people send me nice messages and people have been downloading that Cat of Nine Tales record. And it looks super sketchy. Like I'm not going to, give them the record and i'm going to steal there like it doesn't look good but the point is it works and uh anyways what i'm getting at is um thankfully there's people who actually listen to my music you listen to anything there's like how many how many bands do you think are on spotify how many artists do you think are on that and like i can't you can't even count so all i'm getting at is if someone singles out to listen to my music on purpose I really appreciate that, and I don't take it for granted. And uh, where I'm at now is kind of just like a cult band, where I've just got some regulars, and that's cool with me. Like, so I don't have huge ambitions beyond that at this point. Um, but yeah, just like a, a a small number of people who will buy the thing I make, or uh, and kind of 
keep uh, pay attention to what I'm doing. And so um, I'm that's exciting to me. And so I'm kind of like more and more lately being like, oh, that's cool that it goes to somebody or that anyone cares in the first place, man. Seriously. So like I still see it that way. And so it's exciting to me where I'm like, oh, I'm going to like make a new thing and then send it out to these people, you know. And so that motivates me. And I, it's funny because the music is uh, a lot of that stuff I made, I would think is uh, kind of alienating and kind of uh, maybe tedious or, or no that's not the right word where it's just kind of like clever shit and it's you know how it is with like kind of artistic music sometimes where it's like okay could you just fuck off and play a fucking song <laughs> like could you just shut the fuck up john Warren, or whatever <laughs> fucking i'm gonna throw your saxophone in the garbage but the i uh i've been thinking more about like a lot of just nice music and kind of like that's what i want this next record to be is a kind of like oh just hits or something or what i think of as hits but not so much uh difficult kind of aggressive stuff i'm very angry for a very long time and uh, i think that's pretty uh transparent painfully transparent but um yeah right now I'm, I'm wanting to write like music that makes me feel good and uh makes people feel good and just almost as a thank you to the people who listen because i know you know like i know this like if you put you know three weird ass freaky deaky like avant-garde tracks on a cd and then you put a song on uh that sounds like brenda lee like probably gonna listen to brenda lee's song and skip the three fucking jerk off tracks <laughs> you know what i mean so like uh and that's cool too like if you're driving on the highway or something and listen to a whole record and get into a headspace or walk with headphones like of course but like i know skipping around i remember that deer hunter record cryptograms came out um 2007 or something like that but I just remember it was cool because I like half the time I just skipped to the pop songs. But then there'd be times where I just listened to the whole thing and it was really nice to zipping around, <laughs> floating around. But uh, yeah, I'm just really committed to making music and um, and it is hard in its way, but I don't take it for granted that I could even do it and that somehow can just almost, uh, I could survive off of it financially just basically as a trickle are you guys are playing music too right so like but there's this thing of just for some for some reason just from having done it so long there's just weirdly a little chunk here a little chunk there and um surviving so yeah i'm i'm into it you know i want to be working and i think that's part of why i want to do things on my own too because uh in a sense it creates a job mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of where my head's at with the labels, where it's like, well, I, I should just do that job. Like, I don't mind. I've worked, I've done fucking shipping and receiving. I, I don't, like, I, I can use a computer. I'm happy to do that. And a lot of people don't want to do that and just want to focus on the music. And I totally get that. But I feel like uh, I'm going to try it a couple more times. I've done it before, self, self-releasing stuff. Um, but it's it's just fun, man. And it's like a lucky thing to be able to do. You know, like, I'm not being fucking drafted into any some military conflict like i i really count my blessings like that uh pretty often where i'm just trying to keep my head on straight and be like oh yeah this is good but uh yeah as far as music goes i just keep pushing man i've been playing guitar for 25 years and uh i still know what the fuck i'm doing i found this guitar player johnny smith uh old dollar bin kind of record guy 
but incredible guitar playing, especially on the ballads. There's this record called Moonlight in Vermont, and uh, that was the track. I heard the song called, um, oh, for God's sake, I'll Be Around. I, it's an old standard. I think Frank Sinatra sings it. But uh, this song came on, and it, I was like, that's, that's my kind of guitar. Mm. Just And very, um, I think people would think of it maybe as, as schlock, uh, but uh, I really enjoy it. And that really launched me into like totally digging into guitar. Like I never really, like, like I, I have for certain stretches, but uh, the point is I'm just always thinking about it and I'm always doing it. And um, I do, and I do love it. And I also work it though too. Like that's why I like listening to these writers. Like I like, I listen to Harry Cruz a lot, that writer. I listen to him talk a lot and he really motivates me. He was a teacher but he's not an academic. And so the way he talks about stuff is very relatable and simple. And uh, he's a pretty charismatic guy, but uh, he talks about it like in a really the same, in a way that I can relate to the way he talks about writing and what it takes to do it because it's insane. Like the whole pursuit is insane. You know what I mean? There's this great, uh, just to put the creative like exercise in a perspective, but there's this thing he talks about where he's, he's talking about, the work it takes and he's like i wrote you know five novels i wrote a room full of short stories rejected didn't go anywhere and they were terrible like they didn't get published for a reason and he's talking about at one point i think he's like in his 40s at this point he sells his first book and he calls he calls his mom who lives like nowhere like probably just got a telephone kind of thing he calls his mom and he's like he's like mom i did it like i sold a book and his mom his mom's like you didn't pass it off as a truth, did you? And he, and he goes, he goes, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. They know I made it up. And then she says, what she say? She's like, there's one thing I don't understand in this world. It's people going and taking good money and giving to somebody for something they known to be a lie. And, fucking... <laughs> and I remember that because like the whole, I just think that's great because the whole exercise, the whole process is so ridiculous or like it's an insane thing to do in the first place for how much time it takes it's it's crazy and especially when you don't see like you get the finished thing and it's a brick and it, it's it's just this consolidated thing that and you don't see like you don't see the like mirror smashing and the like <laughs> you know what i mean like it's uh i would say a novel would be more ambitious but um I I just I think about that a lot just that I'm lucky to be able to do it and I think of that story a lot because it just reminds me of how absurd the whole process is of just like wait you just you're making up you're you're pretending like you're just making making up these lies you know (laughs) 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 which I feel like my my stuff now especially is just like a janitor's fantasy gone wild you know what I mean like it's it's like (laughs) totally like and i forget about it but then i'll go like hang out with like my girlfriend's dad or something who's like super country and, and just he's be, like he's like so what what kind of music do you play what kind of music do you play and then i'm just like oh jesus and i'm trying to explain and he's like what you're <laughs> pretending you're a lady like you know, but the, the voice how do you and i'm just like oh yeah this is fucking what am i doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh anyways a prolific thing that was your question. Um, I, I tend to decline interviews because I just will. I, first off, I always say something I don't like. Uh, 
Um, and I just can't stop talking uh, once I get started. So anyway, anyways, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love playing music. <laughs> <laughs> and we're glad that you do because your music yeah. is wonderful yeah. and we're and grateful to you for sharing your time and your demo uh, with us as well for the podcast. So we can close out now, if you don't mind, Pat, if you just introduce the song that people are going to hear now. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. The song is a demo track uh, called 24 seven. Thank you so much, Pat. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Thanks, Pat. Thank you both.
Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. (laughs) 